Hey, it's Andrew. Miles is here too. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. So as we've been covering COVID-19 and doing all this kind of stuff, we've been trying to keep the ads out of the podcast. But one thing that we did want to mention is that if you want to support local journalism, if you want to support what we're doing here, if these updates have been useful for you, one thing that you can do to help us out right now is to buy something from our shop. We have a really cool shop at doorcountypulse.com slash shop. And there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Yeah, we have great posters from our art director, Ryan Miller of the Door County state parks we have posters of the door county lighthouses the two volume door county living in pictures books and a lot of other great stuff even stickers like if you buy a sticker all of those purchases go to help support this podcast and the work we do each week with the peninsula pulse sending the news out to every mailbox in the county and we can do all that for free when you do that you're supporting the work we're doing here and the weekly edition of the Peninsula Pulse. Once again, that is doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today, as always, by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Have a couple of things to talk about today, and then we'll jump into a few interviews that we've done as well. Uh, I think that we can kick things off with the latest COVID-19 numbers from the state and Door County. Door County has its ninth case confirmed today, uh, so that is up from... Was that yesterday that we got our eighth case or was that two days ago now? I think it's, I think it's two days ago, yeah. Okay, so we are at nine now. No indication about whether or not these latest cases have been community spread. I'm assuming that they haven't. Uh, otherwise, I feel like that would we would know about that. Uh, Door County Medical Center has been great about keeping people updated. Um, so I would I would assume at this point that it's still no community spread. Although, uh, like Sue Powers said, that that's not always going to be the case as this continues on. Um, right. What are we looking at in terms of the state numbers, Miles? Uh, well, the state was up 128 cases today. We surpassed 3,000 total cases in the state. Um, and now the percent percentage of those who test positive who are hospitalized is up to 29%. So that number continues to go up. Right. It's interesting. I was looking at the Wisconsin Department of Health Services actually keeps updating that website with more and more data that they're putting out to the public, which has been great to see. Now they actually have a whole map and uh, page where you can break down by region of the state how many hospital beds are available right now and how many are filled. In your region, how many COVID-19 cases, how many ventilators are in use versus how many are available. All those numbers, it's, it gives people a much more accurate uh, picture of what the healthcare system in their area looks like, which if you happen to be in a less affected area like Northeastern Wisconsin, it can set you at ease a little bit. I think statewide, there are currently 322 ventilators in use from what I saw this morning on the map. I mean, it doesn't break it down by county or hospital specific. So like if for Door County, if you looked at it, you'd be looking at the Northeastern region, which includes Brown County and Marinette and some of these other areas, but it is right. a, it gives you a nice picture of, of what they're doing. And it's kind of amazing how much of that data they're now starting to roll out for people. Sure. You had also mentioned uh, that there is some, uh, some comparisons in terms of the models that were created early on, looking at how this could have spread compared to how it is. Yeah. They have um, some information on the, on that page also kind of describing the model that they used to, they based the shutdown order on. And I don't know if people recall, but early on they said that 
if we didn't take some drastic measures, we were looking at 22,000 cases and anywhere from 440 to about 1,500 potential deaths by April 8th. Now we're sitting here at April 10th and we're at 3,000 cases and 128 deaths. Now, it, it's hard because, again, you don't have anything to compare this to. And as people would say, like, if, you, if you're doing public health well, it will always look like you're overreacting. Um, yeah. But that, that model was based on, the f- through March 15th, Wisconsin was doubling cases every 3.4 days. And generally what that had shown to do in other regions, in other states, in other countries, was that would just continue until you got into the tens of thousands of cases. And what, when they put that safer at home order in, it, it appears to have drastically reduced our doubling time. We were still doubling up until about the time when we, we were still doubling about every four to five days until we got to about 2,200 cases. Now we're doubling, uh, we've re- reduced that time to about nine days. So it's starting to spread that out, which is why the hospitals aren't overwhelmed in, in certain regions of the state. And there are parts of the state that very likely would have gotten lucky no matter what you know, like whatever action we, we'd have taken. There were certain rural areas that are probably sitting there like, well, this would have never happened to us, but you just don't know which one that was going to be. When right. you look at the data that comes out and it shows so many cases in Chicago traced to one birthday party and so many others traced to one funeral and other small towns where it's been one small family gathering that led to a massive spread, it's really hard to, to see any correlation of like why, why that town and not our town. It's, it seems really based on luck. Sure. And, and like you said, you're always going to look like you're overreacting. I think that looking at the the models compared to where we are today, we should not be looking at that as a sign of like, oh, look, we totally overreacted. It wasn't nearly as bad as the models predicted. We should be looking at that as what we are doing right now is working and we should continue to do that. It's kind of astounding to me that the number of people, maybe it shouldn't be, but it's astounding to me that people who still don't get, because that okay, nobody under 30, this isn't hitting and killing people under 30, or we should still have our schools open. That was an overreaction because kids don't die from this. But again, it's, I I don't know which part of the news you would have missed, but like you're trying to stop them from spreading it to other adults, other vulnerable people, the elderly population that are most susceptible, even though there still seems like it really seems to be like 45 plus it increases substantially on your susceptibility to it. Right. I, I still see a lot of those arguments that, and, and this even comes from people like Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, who said only recently did we find out that you could transmit this person to person and which just like dropped my jaw to the floor. I'm like, we knew that. We knew that very early on. I mean, there are a lot of people didn't have hard and fast evidence right away. But a lot of people just said, yeah, this is going to be a person to person thing. And by mid January, most experts were saying that this was, I shouldn't say most, I don't know all of them, but a lot of experts were saying this was person to person. And by the end of January, they knew that for sure. So I don't know how governors like Ron DeSantis and Brian Kemp can argue that, and even Mayor de Blasio of New York can argue that they didn't know that kind of evidence. You'd have to be sleeping under a rock. 
Right. Well, and to to argue that young people don't get it and that young people don't die from it is just wrong. Young people do get it. They get sick and young people have died. To say that we should keep the schools open so that people can keep going to school, we're just going to sacrifice a couple of kids. That's wild to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, when you look at like the statistical models, I I can see where some people are like, hey, some people, there's going to be a few that die of everything. There are going to be some people who die by falling off the monkey bar. So does that mean we ban playgrounds? I, I do get that extent of the argument, but it's really hard when you, like, who gets to choose and, and which parents were going to be safe. Even before they closed the schools, there were a lot of parents who were just not going to send their kids any, no matter what the governor said. They were just going to, and already were pulling their kids out of school. So right. um, I think even without those measures, society was going to make that call for them. Yeah. Anything else about the numbers in Wisconsin before we move on to our interviews today? Uh, no, I think we got a, a couple of, kind of interesting conversations for folks today. Uh, one with Matt Pottist, who did a great story for us on a lot of high school seniors who have lost their senior activities, uh, the, in particularly this story about theater and uh, some of these concerts and, and things that students just won't get to have that experience. Right. And then I talked to Todd Trimberger of Bliss down in Sturgeon Bay and he and his partner, Kelton, are buying the Yonkers building on 3rd Avenue. So that's great news for Sturgeon Bay. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just think of that building's been empty, I think, two years now, Andrew. If it I have feels that right. like it's been empty for 10. Like, <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> yeah. Is Bliss moving in there or is it going to be a different type of shop? So they are going to move Bliss into that spot and then it will be called like the marketplace where Bliss will be the anchor. Bliss is a shop that has existed on Jefferson Street for almost 20 years right. and um, they're going to get other shops in that building because that is a, a massive square footage footprint. But it'll be great to see somebody local and just see anything in that location right now. Hopefully that gives a big boost to Third Avenue. Great. Well, Miles, I think that that's just about going to do it for us today. We will jump into those interviews uh, right after this, but thank you so much for chatting with me and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Joining us today on the podcast, as always, Andrew Clyden is with us. And then Matt Pottist, who this week wrote a story about um, high school theaters and performances and basically stages going dark for the spring season and what those kids and those teachers are going through and what they're missing out on. So, uh, Matt, thank you for joining us today. A uh, pleasure. I, I always enjoy doing these. Uh, got a lot of time on my hands right now. I'm not miles. So it's a good way to, to spend some of it. So thanks. It is uh, definitely strange being on the other side of this miles calling into the podcast for the first time. <laughs> so, uh, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying seeing how the other side lives right now as I'm hanging out with my, with my baby boy down in Sturgeon Bay, we just took him to the doctor. So uh, thanks for being flexible and uh, allowing me to call in for this one. Nothing major for the doctor, I, I take it? No, he's good. He's just getting his vaccinations. All right. Well, Matt, why don't you just give us a kind of summary of like why you pitched this article topic to us. I thought it was a, a great idea. And uh, tell us what you found and yeah, why, you, why this even popped in your head. Well, I mean, you know, it was a stretch assignment for me a little bit. For those who don't know, I write sports, and that's what I've done. And I don't remember writing too many things outside of sports except a couple times in journalism school. I covered a, uh, a city council meeting or something like that for an assignment. So I just figured, you know, we talk a lot about the uh, 
the angst that people have that, you know, basketball, or I'm sorry, baseball, softball, track season, soccer season for girls, it's, it's all been, you know, I would assume going to be canceled eventually, but been postponed to this point. So, you know, we talk a lot about that, but I thought about those kids that are putting in equal amounts of time or maybe even more time preparing themselves for um, spring musicals. Uh, in the case of uh, Southern Door, it was a Pops concert that they had spent a lot of time doing. So, you know, when I thought about it, I, you know, I thought it'd be a good idea to give the, you know, people on the peninsula an idea of, you know, outside of sports, there are kids out there that are missing out on some things that they put a heck of a lot of work into. So, you know, it popped into my mind and, you know, I thought to myself, if I could write about theater, then I could figure out a lot of things. So, you know, it was, it was a good assignment for me to be able to, you know, stretch it a little bit. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I figured pitching it to you would be a good idea of expressing that the Peninsula Pulse cares about everything, too, sports included and, and the theater. Andrew, you um, obviously have an extensive theater background, so I'd imagine um, this probably hit hits home a little bit for you and you probably empathize with these kids as much as anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Matt, the, the amount of time that artistic kids are spending in rehearsal and putting these things on uh, and the way that you compared it to sports, I think is apt because you've got, you know, a pretty long rehearsal or not rehearsal, you have a pretty long like training session for your high school athletes. Uh, but then those students get to go and they get to perform in a number of games throughout the season. Um, whereas, the theater students are putting in the same amount of time, if not more time in rehearsals every night. Uh, and then they get to open their show up for one weekend. So uh, if a student is sick or injured, the season doesn't go on in theater. Uh, as much as the old Proverbs might suggest it does, the show must go on. Uh, it's pretty challenging when students aren't able to make it. Now, I know that there's also complications when an athlete can't make it to a game or is injured or something like that. But uh, there's time for that comeback story, right? That recovery period, uh, making it to the later games in the season, that kind of stuff. With a, a show or a performance or a choir concert, you kind of get one opportunity to do it. And if you miss that opportunity, all of that work was, was, was just for educational purposes, which isn't a bad thing. Like, it's not the end of the world. The students still got to learn a lot and got to push themselves and do some stuff. The rehearsal schedule was cut in half, so not nearly as much as uh, you might hope that they could have done. Uh, but I, I hope that everybody took a good experience from this, despite having uh, their performances canceled, unfortunately. Matt, you, you talked to people at each of the different schools. What was the feeling you got from some of the students and how they were feeling coming out of this? I know you talked to a couple of the leads in some of the, these activities. You know, it's, uh, no, they're all dejected. You know, it's not unlike when I was in high school and played soccer. You know, you you, you build a camaraderie amongst these people because you're with them a long time, you know. So what I got out of these students was, hey, you know what? We spend a lot of time here. We hang out with each other. We're friends. This is my group. This is this is my tribe, right? And so what I got out of the two seniors that I talked to and the teachers especially was, you know, these people like each other a lot. They're around each other. They're friends and stuff like that. So the maturity I saw was this is they were all upset and, and Madeline Blonick and Hayden Hoffman, the two kids that I spoke to, they were both very upset that they were going to miss out on the possibility of being such prominent players in their, in their musicals, their senior year. And that was it. They're, they're missing out on their senior year, but they also both reverted back to the fact that while they're upset about it, the maturity was there enough to say, Hey, we know this is the right thing to do. So, 
you know, you had to not, I'm not astonished by that, nor am I shocked about it, but you had to respect that a little bit, that they took the time to understand, okay, I'm upset about how this went down and how I couldn't, you know, fulfill what I'd put so much time into. But in the reality of it all, it's not the worst thing. It's, you know, I say it a lot. It's a first world problem. And these guys were like, um, I can't be in my play, but I understand that because the reason why I'm not in this play is much more important than me. And then I'm going to move on and I've accepted it. Still upset, but I've accepted it. I read what Hayden had said about this. Um, I had worked with Hayden in Gibraltar's musical Bye Bye Birdie. And he was playing Conrad Birdie, which is the Elvis character of the show. And in it, he gets drafted into the military. And Hayden's remark was, uh, I feel like I'm in a better position than Conrad Birdie because while he got drafted into the military, I get to sit at home and play video games. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's and it's funny, Andrew. The best part about that is I got that quote late, and I had to add that like right before deadline and everything like that. But I thought that that was quintessential, you know, putting it into perspective with a little bit of levity at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. spoke like a person who was an actor, right? He 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 put some levity into it too. And if you look at Madeline Blonick's response was. You know, she played Fontan. I, I don't know how to pronounce the name. I've never Fontaine. seen this. Fontaine, thank you. Um, but she said, hey, you know what? It, you know, what's going on right now is not unlike what she was experiencing and all of the disappointments and hardship that she was doing it. And it was under out of everybody's control. So I found it pretty, pretty um, mature and enlightening to hear them take what's going on in this world right now and putting it into the perspective of the two people that they were going to play, the two main parts that they were going to play, I found that hilarious in a sense. And I found that refreshing that they had the you know, forethought and they could think about it and they could draw that conclusion a little bit too. So you're absolutely right. I just I found that kind of nice that they, they responded that way, very mature. You know, Matt Lowndes, I'm interested to hear uh, kind of like the high school athletics perspective, especially regarding seniors, because in the theater world, high school theater world, there is there's so much that comes from a senior's final performance. Many seniors in theater have been doing shows all their high school career, many of them in middle school, and there's a sense of progress and growth every year, uh, getting bigger roles, taking on new challenges, learning new skill sets, all this type, all these kind of things that, that kind of culminate both in a sense of progress during a senior's last show, but also in, like you said, Matt, that sense of camaraderie and friendship. These people, the seniors who are graduating together, have been with each other in the same shows for four years and have built up that rapport and that friendship. And when they go out on stage for the last time in high school, even if they are totally planning on going into theater in college, there's that feeling of finality. Do you find that that same emphasis in the high school athletics realm in terms of students making progress all four years uh, and then going out for their last game? I can speak to if I I think, Andrew, if I were to ask an athlete the question that you just asked and I and I and I put it in the realm that you did right now, you're absolutely right, because you got to look at it in the the sense that, you know, uh, I can take it in. You're a small undersized freshman football player perhaps and by the time that you're a senior you're much bigger stronger smarter better because you worked at it and you worked with the same group of people and everything like that too as i think back a long 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 time ago to my senior year in high school my last soccer match and the thing of it is is in theater your 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 last performance in high school is of a positive sense right because you're giving your last performance someone there are people standing in the audience you know um you know 
you know, giving you applause for such a great performance and everything like that. In high school sports, it's the, the, the side, other side of that is most people's high school careers, mine included, and Miles probably yours too, ended in defeat. I remember, you know, getting on the bus after my last soccer match in a sectional tournament my senior year in high school and getting on the bus and thinking to myself, man, this is over and I'm not going to be playing with these guys ever again. And thinking to myself, when a Madeline Blonick and a Hayden Hoffman say the same thing to me, it kind of brought me back to the sense that these kids are no different than athlete, athletics um, in a sense that, like we said, they work hard, they become friends. And, you know, my friends on my soccer team are my friends outside of soccer. And I think that's the case in many of these situations that I talk to these kids. So, Andrew, you're absolutely right. You can draw conclusions to it. But on the athletic side, you know, the benefit for <laughs> the people on the theater side is, you know, they leave on a high note, whereas I left on a low note. I just remember walking on the bus, taking my soccer cleats, peeling them off my feet, throwing them out the window and being disgusted that my career was over. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think, you know, over the four years of my soccer career is probably no different than four years of being a musical band, chorus, um, you know, forensics, any of those kinds of things. So it's a, it's a strong correlation. Yeah, I, yeah. I would hundred percent agree with you there, Matt, in that, um, my, my experience as a player and as a coach was very much the same. I always told my, you know, we always, our, our, our season always ended in a loss. We never won the state title and only four or five teams a year get that, that opportunity to end on a high note. And one of the things I kind of gauged my success as a coach was, was like, all right, when that last game ends, are they crying? And if, if the kids aren't crying, I probably didn't make it mean enough to them. Um, Absolutely. And, and do a good enough job on my end uh, to make it matter. Cause if at the end of it, you should be a team ideally, and you've come together and you've battled together um, or in a theater sense, you've worked so hard together and probably had your, your meltdowns in theater the same way you do in a, in a basketball practice. And none of it matters more than it does your senior year as an athlete. And especially it takes you so long for most, unless you're just a real once in a lifetime type of athlete, most kids don't really get confident playing a game, a sport until maybe halfway through their senior year where they get confident to the point where they, they don't worry about the mistakes as much. And then the game starts coming easily to them. And for all those kids who aren't getting that senior spring season, they're not getting that moment, which is, which I think it just kind of sucks because when you don't give a care and you just realize, well, I've only got these 10 games, I might as well just like play my tail off and, and throw it all out there and see what happens. That's when kids really start to see what they're capable of. And when you have a whole team that does that, then they really come together and you get this really unique experience. Um, and a lot of kids are who have spent four years working for baseball or track or all these different sports and same thing in theater. I'm, I'm guessing it's the same way you get that confidence in stage. And maybe Andrew, you could speak to that more that you build up that confidence and then you can really be yourself and, and, and get it all out there. Whereas now you don't get the, that opportunity. Yeah. You know, the, there, there's the sense of building up confidence and being able to, to really grow as a performer, but there's also challenges that you get to overcome with each type of play that you do, whether it be, um, singing a different type of music or pushing your vocal range in a different way, um, learning an accent, learning how to tap dance. Like there's all these different skill sets that you can learn uh, in each show and each show is different. So you always have a new opportunity to grow in that way. That's why I hope, and it seems like Matt, from what you heard from a lot of the students that you talked to, that people really did their best to take away 
as much as they could from the rehearsal process. Even though it's a bummer that they're not going to get to perform, I hope that none of them think that the time that they spent in rehearsal was for nothing. You shared your senior experience as my senior year of college. The final show that I was going to do, uh, I was one of the lead roles. I was in rehearsal for uh, up until two weeks before the show opened, uh, and then I had major surgery that came out of nowhere and wasn't able to go on. In, in that happening, some of the really talented actors that were in the cast that had smaller roles got shifted around. And I think the show turned out much better for it. Like I actually got to see it as an audience member and really enjoyed what I saw. Even though I didn't get to actually perform for my final time in college, I still got to put in the work. I got to learn and refine my New York accent. <laughs> I got to like bring in a whole new skill set, work on a whole new type of theater, learn about, a lot about history. Like there's just a bunch that we did in that show that I, I got to accomplish despite never actually going out on stage in front of an audience. So I hope that there's similar stories from this, that even though the students get, didn't get to make their performance, uh, they still got to learn something and can take something away from the time that they did have together. And it's interesting, though, that the conversations I had with Madeline and with Hayden, they were upbeat. You know, they were excited about it and everything like that. You know, and the other thing that I would refer to, and, and we talk about this, is I look at... Um, you know, Liz Thomas and uh, Naomi Files as coaches, right? They are the ones that brought these kids along, developed these kids and everything like that. And when I talked to the, to, to, um, to those guys, you know, they were, they were, they were heartbroken for the kids. You know, they had invested their time into it much the way, you know, a coach invests his or her time into the, to the girls program at Sturgeon Bay. So, you know, it, there's the aspect of it too that I found interesting. You know, you, I talked to Naomi Files, and she's like, "This is my family. These are the these are the this is my tribe. These are the people that I connect with, and they connect with each other." So, while they were upset about you know the performance being canceled, they were worried about that social aspect being taken away from the kids. You know, mm-hmm. these kids are at home now, right? So, they were worried more about okay. You know, they worked hard for this, but in the midst of all that, we created a family of kids. And now that social aspect is taken away. So Naomi specifically just said, I like connecting virtually with my kids every day. If we talk about something that's related to music, that's fine. But most of the time it's just connecting and being part of something still and making sure that that connection was still going on. And that these kids, you know, you know, hundreds of kids have an opportunity to keep their social social life. And what they find, you know, interesting and stuff like that too so in in that aspect of of how the teachers reacted i saw them and i and i don't minimize this by anything i saw them as coaches i saw them as people that were concerned about their students the same way that the coach was concerned about as their athletes and drawing that correlation to me was very satisfying and it wasn't shocking by any means um you know, like obviously people are adapting in so many different ways right now. And it, just like this podcast, we have Oliver James on the podcast for the first time with Andrew. And then Matt, you've got kids yeah, at home. Yeah, enjoying that. <laughs> um, Matt, what you got kids at home in high school, correct? Correct, too. Yeah. Um, what's it like for them and what's it like for you as a, a parent right now with the, with the kids at home and not in, in the school? Well, it's interesting, you know, I have a soccer player. I have a, a son who plays on a club soccer team that, you know, his season was pulled uh, at the beginning of March, right? Their last uh, bit of indoor training was pulled. They're supposed to start training last week for outdoor soccer. He can't do that. What we're trying to, you know, bring to him is a first world reality. Is That's not the worst thing that could be right now. 
You know what I mean? You can be the son of a parent that have been laid off from their jobs and, and looking for, you know, help and everything like that too. Um, psychotic, you know, their, their, their psyche a little bit is that, you know, I've got kids sleeping until 11 o'clock in the morning, afternoon, 11 o'clock in the morning and going to bed. I came home last night at, uh, I came downstairs last night to get a drink of water at two o'clock and my 50 or 14 year old was eating a plate of spaghetti. So, I mean, <laughs> their worlds are turned upside down. I mean, they're night owls now, you know, we talk about e-learning and everything and that's great, but I think they probably put maybe two hours in a day because it's so limited to, to what their teachers can do. Right. And so, you know, they have one virtual classroom a day. And then they have um, some assignments that are put out and then they have to put them in at a certain time. So, um, you know, they are, their world is so much different now. They don't have friends around and anything like that. Their social circle, similar to the social circles of these kids that I interviewed, have been disrupted. And I think that, you know, it takes a little bit of a toll on you. You know, you've got the video games that my kids play that they stay connected, they FaceTime their friends. But in the same way, you know, my son Nick's not hanging out with his soccer buddies. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And in the same way, Madeline Blonick's not hanging out with her um, uh, musical buddies, her fine arts buddies. So, you know, they're in the same, it's in the same realm and everything like that too. But, you know, is it the end of the world? No, but these guys will get through this, but it's going to be, you know, they're seeing life in a different way and they're not seeing life perfect. And I think it's a good lesson for them, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, and I have to say in my position too, I feel both very lucky that, Oliver is the age that he is, but also privileged that, you know, I'm at the position that I'm at in life where I'm able to work from home. I'm able to spend time with him during these kind of formative months of his life. I got to spend a lot of time with him after he was born and I'm getting to spend more time with him now. And I feel like when I look back on this, I will remember the good times that I had with him and not so much the fear and the uncertainty and the anxiety that was surrounding everything else. Uh, I know that I'm in a very privileged position to be able to say that, uh, and I don't, I don't say it lightly. Um, so I've, I'm trying to take this as best I can, um, but I, I do feel a certain sense of of luck and privilege that I'm able to spend as much time as I've been spending with him at the age that he's at, rather than you know him being 10, 11, 12. I feel like that's much more challenging for parents right now. Is all of a sudden having to fill your child's entire day uh, when they would otherwise be at school or with friends. Now you have to be their school and you have to be their friends and you have to do all of this for them while also maintaining your job if you're able to and, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you, and you, if you feel similar at all in that. Well, in my world, I'm kind of in the sweet spot because you're right. I mean, uh, I had two kids under two years old in my house at one time and it's challenging, right? And there are days when you take them to a daycare center where you really wish you had, you know, you wish you could spend more time. So you're absolutely right. Take advantage of this right now. Soak it up because it is going to be more beneficial for your child than you would ever uh, assume. In my world, it's not so bad because I've got a 14 and a 16 year old. I got a freshman and a sophomore in high school. They're so self-sufficient right now that I have to wake them up, make sure that we look at what their assignments are, and then they do their assignments, and then they're done. I don't have to 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 uh, supervise them in a sense that making sure they get their work done because they know that if they don't, that there's repercussions that, that we'll take care of at that point. We got to trust that they're going to do it, and so far that's been the case. So we're kind of in that sweet spot, but. Like Andrew said, I can't imagine having someone that needs supervision 24-7. Um, my wife, um, she counsels patients uh, through telemedicine now, right? And I'm talking to customers via um, 
uh, FaceTime and stuff like that. But I'm limited by the fact that my customers are emergency room physicians and stuff like that. They don't want me around right now because they've got <laughs> plenty to do, right? So my world's been turned upside down. I have the advantage of having a little bit of extra time. But those 10, 11-year-old kids, they need more help than, than um, parents probably have the time to do. And it's probably a really big juggling match at that point. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Is there anything else that sure. that we that you wanted to touch on or, Andrew, that you think we should touch on? Um, if I could add two things, one of them is um, these teachers that I spoke to were some of the most dedicated people that I've spoken to, whether it be a coach, an athlete, whatever. You know, the time that they put in, the thought that they had about their students and you know, just the, the I don't want to use the word worry, but the concern that they had for the students probably isn't unlike an algebra teacher either. But I really enjoyed the fact that when you talk to them, they spoke not about their disappointment. They spoke about the disappointment of the students and the well-being, welfare of their students was the first thing that they led with. And I respected that a lot, you know, and I, and I shouldn't be shocked by that. But it came through completely every time I talked to these guys. And the second thing of it is, Andrew, if you ever want to learn how to do a New York accent, I married a Long Island girl. So come over to my house sometime. She can train you a little bit if you need to brush up on that a little bit, okay? No, okay. perfect. Uh, you know, I'll just as an aside, um, in theater, you learn, uh, you learn stage dialect, which right. is a little bit different than the actual accent. So in stage dialect, you might pick out three really important sounds and implement just those rather than fully taking on the breadth of the accent. So I, I think it would be very fun to talk to an actual person, an actual accent, yeah. <laughs> give them the stage dialogue and have them break it down. Yeah, you can have a cup of coffee with her if you chose, right? <laughs> so, exactly. so, Miles, thanks a lot for letting me do this story. Um, I really enjoyed doing it. It was probably my second favorite story that I've done in the year and a half that I've uh, uh, been writing for you guys. So, um, you know, I couldn't be happier with where it landed on the page and how it worked out and how much I enjoy talking to these people. So yeah, it was good for me too. Well, excellent. Thank you, Matt. And thanks for all the writing you do for us from afar and, and giving us different perspectives on our own County. Andrew, thanks for dialing in with Oliver. Uh, it's great talking to you of again. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Great. Guys. Thank you guys. Now joining me on the podcast is Todd Trimberger, who with his partner, Kelton Reitz is uh, the owner of Bliss right. down in Sturgeon Bay, and they are buying yep. the Yonkers building. Todd, thank you for joining us. Yes, my pleasure. My pleasure. We're all very excited about this uh, endeavor. Well, I got to tell you, when I heard the news, the first thing that I thought of that really excited me is to know that here's this large centerpiece building, and it's a local small business owner who is taking it over. Yes, and ironically, the uh, year, you know, two years, almost two years ago, when we had this Yonkers task force, which I was on with Pam Seiler from Destination Sturgeon Bay, um, little bit known to me, the owner of the building had actually said to Pam, "It really needs to be somebody local that buys this, that versus a, you know, a, a national franchise, which you know we." the task force went after different entities to come in and fill this void and we just didn't get any takers. So it's just funny because she shared that with me about a month ago because Pam's been with us on this whole road and um, she shared that. She's like, you know what Troy said <laughs> two years ago almost? And I was like, oh my God, here we are. <laughs> so, but yeah, so we're really, really excited. I mean, it's, we've had to be so covert about this because we just didn't want to disappoint the community if it all, if we hit some big roadblocks or it just all 
sudden didn't work or there was an environmental something or, you know, and um, so we, there's only been a handful of people in this community that have known. And um, obviously since the city council uh, agenda came out on Wednesday, our world has exploded a little bit, but I think it's pretty, uh, you know, our intentions were very sincere and we wanted to, if, if we were going to do this, we wanted to give something pe- something to people to be really happy about and, and, you know, and something just to say, we believe in the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah, that is a great message to get across right now because right now nobody knows where the end of the tunnel is. So even Correct. to know that there's a light there is is a big bonus. Yeah, um, yeah. and we, we talked about backing out of it, you know, just like saying, hey, let's chill. And we both just decided, and it, it was a very short conversation, we both just decided that, you know what, now is even better time to do this because it'll give some, you know, it'll give some people some hope. So, and... There we, here we are. We we close at three o'clock today. So, but most of the papers have been signed already, and um, we we're here. We you know it 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 all fell into place, and it all feels right. You know the reason I I was so excited about a, a local person buying it. One is because I, I looked at that building, and I I didn't think that it would be that a small business owner would have the option to buy it or have the capability to buy it. But also, yeah, it's a big, it's a big building. Yeah, it's a big chunk. Um, yeah, and then also, but we had we started compartmentalizing it, and that's that's how it became manageable in our heads. How how so? Um, you know, we we started saying let's focus on the main floor and and the mezzanine, and then the the other part in the annex building will evolve. You know, it, it you know it just it's a lot of square footage, and and there's some big ticket items that need to be done on that building, um, roof and HVAC and um, all new windows and doors and stuff like that before you even start developing the inside. So once we just kind of put it into then you didn't think about the whole project at one time. It just became a, a more manageable situation. Yeah, I think it would, you'd have to, to to bite that off. The other part of it that's so great, I think, is we've seen this in you know in Sister Bay. You see it with the uh, Pomida becoming Shopco, becoming empty space. In Sturgeon Bay, you've seen mm-hmm. it so many times where we rely on a big, large national or regional chain to come in and be mm-hmm. sort of a centerpiece or a savior. They're not invested in the community. They don't live there. And then when t- times get tough, they're gone. And you've seen so many rotations mm-hmm. like that, whether it be a Maurice's or a um, Save-A-Buck or Spurgeon's, so many things that have come and gone in Sturgeon Bay. So to see someone local who's been invested for 20 years in the community and mm-hmm. somebody who's not just going to cut and run the first time it gets hard, that's what I think Third Avenue is so lucky to have. Yeah. And we, you know, we opened this store two months before September 11th. So that was a You're, fabulous You have beginning. an incredible timing. <laughs> yes. And, and now we're, we're buying this, 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 uh, big old building in, in, in the middle of the virus. So, um, we'll just, we'll make, we'll make some sunshine somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, and just so people who don't know what your store is, tell us what, uh, bliss has now and where you're located when this transition is going to happen and then what the store is going to look like going forward, if it's going to evolve and change with the new location. Have a spectacular season um, <laughs> this summer. We will have a season. 
Um, and it's home accessories, gifts. Um, we do a lot of women's accessories. Um, we often say accessories for your life, whether it's putting finishing touches on your home or your condo, your cottage, or yourself. Um, we've got personal items as well. So, um, and we'll be expanding those things. And as hopefully as other um, things come, to, the vision comes whole, you know, because we've had to be so under the under the radar we don't know who is going to come forward and want to be a neighbor with bliss. You know, bliss will be an anchor and um, we'll hopefully bring some other great synergistic businesses in with us and um, make, make that whole space be a positive uh, place for people to visit and hang out. Yeah. Cause you're calling it a bliss marketplace, right? So the marketplace is the main name, and that's, okay. but it is by bliss. Cause we're, you know, we're the main anchor sure. right now. And that's a, that's a lot of square footage compared to your old location. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It is, it is, but it's pretty easy to visualize, you know, where some other entities could be. Um, and once we take out all the, there's a lot of built in display like things that were there from the department store days. Once those are out, the, the footprint will become even even more visible and where we see where really the hardwood floors still exist and that kind of thing. Um, it'll, it'll be much more visual. Um, again, we, you know, this is a really, really organic situation and we are, um, we are, we have been on this journey for six plus months and just kind of not forced it and let things kind of come to us, if you will. Um, and that's the way we will continue. And uh, we feel that the end product, whether it's just bliss for a while, or if somebody comes to the table right away, um, it's going to be the right, the right neighbor, if you will. Well, hopefully this, this economic, um, disaster that we're in right now is no, no good way to put it. Um, uh, hopefully this comes and goes It is. and yeah. you've been through it. Like you said, you opened right before 9-11. That was a very, yep. I was a business owner at the time in a restaurant and it was a very tense time of wondering what, what it was going to look like going forward. Door yep. County weathered that storm pretty well. The recession. Yep. Door County actually weathered pretty well because it happened to coincide with the change in room tax yep. and marketing. So um, who mm -hmm. knows where we would have been without that. And you've been there now for 20 years. So I guess what can you say in terms of, you know, a lot of business owners, a lot of residents, a lot of employees being scared right now. Um, what do you see as maybe a path forward or that brighter vision at the end of this tunnel as you are taking this big step and in investing in your community? Well, Kelton and I both, you know, we feel that um, that, this is going to pass. You know, he's looking at it from the medical side. I'm looking at it from the retail business side, you know, and, and obviously this impacts us too. I truly believe in the resilience of Door County, Sturgeon Bay, um, and the people here and the kindness here. I think that um, I, I, I know other business owners that are friends and I know we're all scared. I'm scared and I'm biting off, you know, a bigger one or we are, I should say. Um, but I feel like we have to assemble some normalcy in our life and build for the future versus just focusing on where we are right now. We have to look at, we have to create opportunity for ourselves down the road once we get through this darkness. And that could be, figuring out what merchandise you're going to bring into your store, what new entrees you're going to put on your, you know, on your menu when you get to reopen or, you know, what, 
new services are you going to offer in, in your business? And it just, it's, it's a creative process, but it's a creative process that allows you to step out of the abnormality of which we're living in right now. Um, well, Todd, thanks for joining us on the podcast and thanks for taking a, a big risk and jumping in, uh, giving some people, a, like you said, a light at the end of the tunnel. Appreciate you taking the time to give me a jingle.